assurance of eternal life. The whole book is about knowing for sure you have eternal life through a relationship with Jesus Christ. All the uncertainties of life, there's one thing we can be certain about. And the Bible, this book especially, gives us great assurance and certainty of eternal life. I, I found out as I was studying this week, counted up, the little word no is found 41 times in this little letter. 41 times the Apostle John, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, I want you to know this, know this, know this. And chapter 5, verse 12 is probably the culmination. You can know you have eternal life. And how do we know that? Well, the three key words, I think, as we've gone through this book, you, we've seen them, and here's the three concepts. Knowing and having assurance of eternal life is based on faith. What do you believe? You have to believe, and we have to believe the right thing about God, about ourselves, about salvation. So belief, and then love, obviously, is a key word. We love Him because He first loved us. We love our brothers. If we don't love our brothers and we don't know God, He has told us uh, love is an evidence that you really are one of God's children. No love means no life from the Lord. Love, God's kind of love, is an indicator that we do have that eternal life from the Lord. And then truth. Truth is living out the Word of God. Responding to the Word of God with obedience. Walking in the truth. Walking in the light. So think of it these way, with these three words. This way. Faith, what I believe. Love how I respond to others, God and other people. And truth, how I live. These are the three evidences, the three big indicators that give us the certainty that I really am a genuine Christian. Not how often I go to church, not how much money I give, not how many Bibles I have on my shelf, or how many verses I have crammed into my memory bank, but it's faith, love, and truth that really are the marks of the believer. Let's look at chapter 5, and we're going to look at the first five verses, which are going to show us how, as true believers, we can have a victorious Christian life. Isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we hope for? That's what God wants. But how sad when we may go through times of um, defeat. We feel beaten down. And we're struggling to keep our spiritual heads above water, and we feel the world and the flesh and the devil may be winning the battle in our lives, in our relationships, our attitudes, our mindset, our thought life, and it's, it's a, a terrible thing for a Christian to feel or live defeated. Because, as our next friend shows us on our slide, here you go, boys and girls, moms and dads, this could be a... A trivia challenge for all of us. Who's this character with the B sign? Anybody want to refresh our history lesson? This is Sir Winston. Sir Winston Churchill, Prime Minister of England during England's, England's darkest hours when they were this close from being conquered and ruled by Nazi Germany. But the Prime Minister of England would rally and exhort the population of Great Britain, and he became famous for just flashing the B for victory symbol to remind people, we're going to win this battle. So let's see everybody do a V. Guys, boys and girls, let's do the V. We're winners in Jesus. We have victory. Let's look at it in 1 John chapter 5. We've got the first five verses. 
We're going to have them up here. I'm going to step aside so everybody can see the screen. Let's read it as a congregation, okay? Everybody, either from your Bible, this is ESV translation, or from the screen, let's read the first five verses of 1 John 5. Ready? Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. It was back in 1964, two gentlemen by the name of Bill Bowerman and Phil Knight founded uh, a sports company that manufactured shoes and sports apparel. Uh, they called it Blue Ribbon Sports. company grew and, and grew and grew, and a number of years later they thought they should change the name of their company to something shorter and catchier. And so they did. And so this multi-billion corporation, which employs 76,000 people worldwide, takes in about 50 billion a year, headquartered in Oregon, took the name of the Roman goddess of victory, and her name, you would know her name because you see the symbol and her name probably every day, which would be right here. The swoosh, Nike. How many of you have heard of Nike? I'm looking to see if there's any swoosh stuff around here. Sh shoes. You got some Nike? Okay, Nike was the name of the Greek goddess of victory. Her Roman name was Victoria. We get the word victory from that. Victoria. Rome was very big on victories. They would conquer nations and have parades and build monuments, statutes, gates to celebrate those victories, to proclaim to the world, Rome wins. Rome is the victor. There's a picture of what uh, Nike or Victoria looked like as she was depicted, this false goddess with wings because she was swift and strong. And you'll notice, if we could go back one more, You'll notice in her hand is the crown of victory that she gives to those who worship her. Well, now the Apostle John is going to tell us in these verses, victory does not come from Nike, the false goddess. Victory does not come from Rome. Rome is gone. It's in the dust of history. Victory comes from Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that. We're going to jump down to verses 4 and 5. We're going to work a little backwards in this passage. You'll notice four times we're going to see the word victory, or it's translated in the, the verbal form, overcome. That's still the word Nike, but it's in the, the verb form. So here's what he tells us in verse 4. Everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. There's the first one, overcomes. Victory. This is the victory, Nike, that has overcome victory, the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one that believes that Jesus is God. So, let's take a look. Let's answer a few questions. 
Who enjoys God's victorious life? You just notice in the text, verse 4, right? How does verse 4 start? Everyone. Everyone, how many does that include? Everyone who has been born of God. No exclusions, no exceptions. This isn't just for elite, really superior Christians. Maybe they've been saved for decades and they just have it mastered. And if you get to be in that category of Christian at some point in your life, you'll finally have a victorious Christian life. But us common people, boy, we can only hope. Maybe someday we'll get there, but maybe not. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says if you are born again, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Even the newest Christian. Or the oldest Christian, and all those in between, everyone who's been born of God. What does he go on to say in verse uh, verse four? The one, uh, where am I? Let's see. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Again, every believer, the one and only one, everyone who believes Jesus is an overcomer, a victor against the world system that tries to pull hearts and lives away from God, that tries to dilute uh, and pollute faith and truth and love, the three qualities that guarantee us of our salvation. But to believe in Jesus Christ plugs us into victory. And the chapter began back in verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. So will you notice with me, friends, the, the, the key repetition in this passage is this phrase, to be born. He mentions it three times. He starts at verse 1. Everyone who believes Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Alright? And then he goes on to say the rest of the verse, if everyone who loves the Father loves everyone who's been born of Him. So the reason I love you and you love me and we love one another is not because we uh, maybe are compatible, we like each other's personalities or we match or we're best friends or we just agree on every, every point of uh, position in the world. No. We love one another because of our paternity. You have the same father I have if we're born again through faith in Christ. Your father is my father. Hey, I'm loving you. You're, you're my brother or sister. It doesn't matter how we differ and disagree on so many other things. We have this in common. We are born of the Father. And then one more time, he will tell us down in verse, um, every, verse 4, everyone who's been born of God. You see, folks, the birth, the new birth, to be born again as Jesus commanded. You must be born again. This is what gives us the potential for victory in our Christian life. You can't live a victorious Christian life if you haven't been birthed from above with that life of God. Here's what Lenski, a very noted commentator, said. And I think he says it spot on. The God-implanted new life is the true dynamic that overcomes the world. It's not our talent, our ability, our strong will that we determine we're going to live a good, victorious moral, spiritual, godly life. It's the, the God-implanted new life that's the true dynamic that overcomes the world. We are born from above, the life of God planted in us, what the Bible calls the miracle of regeneration. 
When we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, we are born with life that is victorious. So who has victorious life? Potentially, ideally, it's for all who are in Christ. Everyone. Now let's go back, let's answer the next question. What do we believe? Who do we believe in? We believe in Jesus. Guys and girls, I need your help here because one of the things the Bible tells us to believe in Jesus, that he's Messiah. Hmm. Or Christ is how it's translated. It means the same thing, Messiah or Christ. Do you know what that word means? Anybody want to tell me what Messiah means while I grab something here? It means anointed. Messiah comes from the Hebrew word. Christ means the same thing. It just comes from the Greek language. They mean the same thing. Messiah or Christ, the anointed one. And this is God's way of saying Jesus is the one that the Old Testament promised and prophesied would be the heavenly sent God anointed ruler who one day will be prophet, priest, and king of God's kingdom on earth. He will first be the redeemer who saves sinners from their sin. God has anointed him for that. I need some volunteers to come up. I want to show you what anointing is. Anybody want to come up and get anointed? Titus, you want to come up? Brady, you want to come up? Eddie, come up. In the Old Testament, they would take a man who was going to be the prophet or the priest for God or the king that would rule Israel, and they would take some special oil. This is not special oil. This is just clean water. And they would just drip a little bit on him. And he was anointed. And that would, oil would flow down his head all the way to his sandals. From head to toe, he was covered with that special anointing oil that was a symbol of God's Spirit being on that man to be God's leader, either as a prophet, a priest, or a king. But the perfect anointed one is the one that would come one day, God to earth, and Jesus would be not only a prophet, but also he'll be our priest, and one day he'll also be the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is anointed Probably not with oil. There's no record in the Bible they anointed him with oil. But he was anointed with the Holy Spirit to be God's Messiah. And if you'll notice in 1 John 5, 1, that's one of the things we must believe about Jesus. Jesus is Messiah. And then you're born again. But there's a second thing to believe about Jesus in verse 5. Who is it that overcomes the world? And John answers his own question. The one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Not just Messiah. That's pretty special. That's divine from Old Testament prophecy thousands of years before Jesus. But now we must believe He is the Son of God. What does that mean? Does that mean He was created by God the Father? Because isn't that how we think of our sons? Sons are beget by their fathers. So a lot of people are confused and they think, well, that means Jesus was created by the Father. But that's not how Scripture reveals it. In this sense, the Son and the Father 
are equal and eternal in their relationship. There's always been a father. There's always been a son. And there was never a time where there was only a father who later on decided to create a son. And then from that point on, he became Jesus and Messiah. No. Father and son existed eternally. It helps me in my mind. I don't know if this is just me, if it helps you. The Son of God gives people the idea of, you know, Jesus was created or birthed at some point. I like to refer to him more so as God the Son. Now, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, and all three of those persons are eternal and equal, and none of them was created. They have all been in eternal triune relationship forever. And this is one of the things we believe about Jesus in order to be saved. If you do not believe Jesus is the Son of God, according to verse 5, you're not an overcomer. You're not one of those who've been born of God. And this will rule out many today, many religions. Muslims say Jesus existed. He was a great prophet. He was equal with Muhammad. But he was created by Allah. Wrong. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. The Roman Catholic Church will say Jesus is Redeemer, but he's co-Redeemer with Mary. The co-Redemptress. No, Jesus is the only Savior. He's the only. The Trinity is three in one, not four in one, and Mary up there with the Father, Son, and the Spirit. There are other religions. Jehovah's Witnesses say Jesus was, was the Creator, but he was first created. He might have been the Savior, but uh, he was just a man, a really good man that God used to be our Savior. No, Jesus is God. And to deny the Son of God, the Apostle told us back in chapter 2, if you deny the Son, then you don't know the Father. So it's not possible to say, I just believe in God the Father, maybe the God of the Old Testament, but not so much this New Testament Jesus. That's an impossibility. The Scripture tells us the Son bears witness of the Father with whom He is equal. And you cannot have one without the other. We believe the Son, and that gives us a relationship in the family of the Father. So that's who Jesus is. To believe He is God, Deity, the Lord God Almighty, the great I Am, the God-Man, gives us this life that gives us victory over the world. Next slide. Adam. What does God's victorious life look like? We might get in our minds, victorious Christian living, that's perfection, right? I won't sin anymore. No, please, don't set yourself up for with wrong expectations for inevitable crash. It's not a perfect life. Just as Peter, or Paul, or David, or any of the saints in the Bible, they were godly men. And they live consistently faithful lives with occasional hiccups, sin, stumblings. And you and I will probably do the same. But the victorious Christian life here in this passage means, according to verse 1, we'll love the Father. We have been given life from Him, and our natural heart response is to just fall in love with the Father again and again and again, as we sang this morning. We love the Father. And again, if you love the Father, then verse 2 says you'll love His children. And that's why we meet with His family. I'm not His only child. 
I, he, he's got a big family, and I need to meet all of his children. And the more brothers and sisters in the family I know, it helps me in my love for him. And hopefully it will help others as I can invest in their lives. We love the brothers. And did you notice the love of God's children in verse 2? Is connected with loving God and keeping His commandments. We love our brothers and sisters best when we're loving God and living in obedience to His Word. The best thing I can do for you, my friends, as a Christian, uh, besides praying for you, I guess, that, that's probably number one, the best thing I can do for you is to just love God before you, to live an obedient life, to be a godly brother or sister for you to see, to, to be encouraged by another example of, of godly living. The best thing you can do for your spouse, for your family, for your friends, is to just love God and be obedient to His commandments. And we know His commandments are not a burden, verse 3 says. If His commandments feel like a burden, then maybe we don't have that new implanted life of God. Because the new implanted life of God in my heart gives me a new desire, a thrill, a pleasure for obeying God and doing anything He says. So praying is not hard because I love the Father. Forgiving people who hurt me, uh, it might be hard for my flesh, but I can do that without a burden because the Father has put it in my heart. And, and worshiping and studying the Bible, memorizing sections of it, going out and talking to people, even strangers, to talk about Jesus. Uh, doing all the things the Bible says, it, it might be a, a challenge for my flesh at times, but it's never a burden for my life. It's the joy of my life to obey God's wonderful, loving commandments. And if we are in, vict in a victorious life, then we are doing the obedience, the loving obedience towards His commandments. I think we will conclude with hope for living hope. So here's the deal, Living Hope Church. Where are we struggling? Where does the battle seem to be hardest in our life? Is it with emotions? That you feel like you're on an emotional roller coaster from day to day and you just can't get control of the, uh, maybe there's anxiety one day and guilt another day and depression or fear or anger and they seem to rule the day. There's victorious life over our emotions, over our thought life. If that's where the battle is lost, you just can't get certain thoughts out of your mind. You can't get your brain going the right direction. There's victory in Jesus for our thought life, for our attitudes, for our words, our behavior, relationships. I just can't get it right with other people, the people I work with or live with, try and serve with or wherever the devil is attacking those, those besetting sins, those life-dominating sins, those sins that seem to have had a grip on us so long, we'll never be able to get victory over that. Please, please, go to 1 John 5 whenever you're tempted. And just remind yourself, there is victory in this world. There is victory over my flesh. There is victory over the devil. Because, in conclusion, notice... Uh, verse 4, this is the victory that has, past tense, overcome the world, our faith. Now in verse 
Or at the beginning, he's using the present tense. We are overcoming continually, habitually. That's our, our, our practice, to have victory, if not perfectly, sinlessly, consistently. But now at the end of verse 4, he says, something in the past overcame the world. But he doesn't say what. Does he really need to? Or is it not so obvious that these Christians, and we would say, oh, if you're talking about what got victory in the past, we know where to look. We know where to look, Jessica. There it is. There it is. Victory, what we celebrated in memorial this morning. Jesus said this, before the cross, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. And that's a great word for pressure. It doesn't necessarily mean persecution or martyrdom. Just pressure. It could be social pressure, economic pressure, relationship pressure, all sorts of pressure in life, right? You'll have it in the world, he says. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Nike, or in the Greek it's pronounced Nike. Jesus is the victor even before he goes to the cross. It's certain. That's where the battle was won for eternity. And so now, we go even beyond the cross. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, grave, where is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Nike, Nike, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe this week you'll be in a coffee shop or at work or just in the store, you'll see somebody with the Nike swoosh. Every time you see that swoosh, now I want you to think. Nike. Victory does not come from the Greek goddess, Victoria. Nike is what I have in Jesus. I have victory over the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you give victory because you gave your son. Thank you, Jesus, you gave yourself. You who are the king, the lion became the lamb so that you might be our sacrifice for sin. And thank you, one day the Lamb will become the Lion. You will rule and reign in, in righteousness and peace and sovereignty over the whole world. And every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord, would you help us as believers to grow in our faith, to grow in our love towards you, that we might grow even more consistent in our victory over sin, and the flesh, and the world, and the devil as they try to pull us away and hold us back from growing in grace and being faithful children of God. Lord, we love you, and we thank you that you first loved us. In your name we pray. Amen. Pastor Brian.